The Blunt Post with Vic. Good Monday morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and the publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers uh, breaking and headline news, analysis, commentary, and I interview members of Congress and high-profile public figures and dignitaries and such. And also on each show, I highlight an exceptional organization um, such as a nonprofit and or a charity that does great work in the community. A dense show for you today. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. You know, after some headlines uh, and recent numbers on COVID-19, I interview two congresswomen, extraordinary congresswomen, uh, Representative Maxine Waters and Representative Judy Chu about this pandemic, uh, their perspective, and uh, where we are in the road ahead. So thank you for joining me. Um, just briefly, some recent updates. Of course, this changes sometimes actually minute by minute. But uh, what I have for you so far are just some global numbers first. So far, we have had 340,400 plus people who have contracted the coronavirus. Um, at least 14,573 have died. Um, this is according to a tally by the Johns Hopkins University. We have had 97,571 people recovered from this virus. So it's important to note that as well. From a business and economy perspective, of course, we are, um, we are seeing the damage and we are seeing um, the adverse effects of this virus with uh, so many organizations and companies laying off workers and uh, temporarily, I should say, uh, suspending their operations. Um, uh, back to numbers, but this time for the U.S., um, we've had 370 people who've died so far uh, in the United States from this virus. And then um, in terms of the, the countries with the most infections, uh, the top 10 are, uh, in this order for, for now, uh, China, Italy, USA, Spain, Germany, Iran, France, South Korea, Switzerland, and the UK. So those are the latest numbers uh, in terms of uh, coronavirus. Just for our listeners, uh, in case you don't know this, the Centers for Disease Control, their website is um, very updated with uh, a very comprehensive uh, list of items that uh, you might want to know. So please check their website for the latest numbers and updates. Now it's time to get blunt, so let's get blunt. You know, something happened a couple of days ago that it just, it's so irritating and it makes, it makes what we're all going through even worse and it's completely unnecessary and that's politicizing for one's benefit this virus and that's what our Commander-in-Chief uh, Donald Trump decided to do when he deliberately, after calling it by its, by its correct name, COVID-19, or at least uh, coronavirus, he uh, decided to call it, and I don't like to actually say it because I don't want to give it power, but unfortunately I have to, I have to say it so that people know what I'm talking about. He decided that he's going to call it the China virus, which is, it's so derogatory and it's so inaccurate 
This is not a virus that's attributed to a country, to people, to one person. Uh, it's just a virus, and it, we're all in it together. And it's really too bad because um, he's doubled down on it. And even after a Washington Post photographer took a picture of his speech where the correct term was crossed off and uh, China virus was written down, he wouldn't take any responsibility for it. And this is what I think is happening. So, of course, we all know that uh, for several months, he was getting briefings by top officials about the virus and the threat it was posing on the U.S., and he wouldn't take action, and he called it a hoax, and he basically, even up until a month ago, he said that it's all under control and we're cool, we're good. And of course, we're not, and this has become an um, extraordinary uh, problem for the world and the U.S., of course, so now he's trying to deflect responsibility, deflect from himself in the White House and uh, how inept he is. So let's blame it on other people. Let's let's pick on China. Let's make China uh, the big bad wolf because, you know, you always have to have a big bad wolf. You know, the Russians are coming or, uh, you, you know, the Chinese are coming or, you know, these people or those people because then the attention won't be on you. And I think that it actually goes further than just this virus. I think him and his handlers are also thinking about November and thinking, how can we actually turn this lemon into lemonade? So let's blame a whole country and make them like sort of a threat. Because uh, historically, if a president has been able to convince uh, the people that there's this uh, threat outside of the U.S., then he can galvanize uh, the masses around him uh, and perhaps get reelected. So, you know, I don't know, some of you remember during George W. Bush's uh, administration, he'd been a disaster for four years, but of course he was able to um, convince his voters and his base that uh, uh, there's this huge threat coming our way and the only person who can handle it is George W. Bush, so let's reelect him. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's been a tactic that's been used by uh, so many leaders, not just in the States, but, but throughout the world and throughout history. And I think perhaps this is uh, Trump's strategy of making China uh, this big threat so that in 2020, uh, we Americans won't question him. We will just uh, rally around him to ward off the threat that's China. Of course, this is all fiction, but uh, you know, it's PR strategy, it's, uh, it's manipulation, and it's disgusting, and it's xenophobia, and it's um, you know, not doing what he's supposed to do as a leader. Um, and he is um, just causing a lot of pain, and he is, um, uh, you know, we, we need to call him out. So I'm <laughs> getting really blunt, and I am calling him out, uh, like many others have, and to uh, you know, keep him accountable for this. So there it is. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. So I'm uh, very pleased to be interviewing um, Congresswoman Maxine Waters uh, next, um, the iconic Maxine Waters, a uh, fierce leader um, and a very blunt congresswoman who's been uh, tirelessly fighting for us uh, and her constituents for about 29 years in Congress. 
Hello, Congresswoman Waters. Welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be with you today. Thank you very much. It's such a privilege and honor to have you at this very challenging time. Uh, I really appreciate the time you've taken to talk to us at the Blunt Post with Vic. How are you? I'm doing fine, and uh, we're doing everything that we can uh, to help people understand the seriousness of, uh, you know, this disease and uh, getting people to follow the uh, advice of the experts and uh, do everything that we can to protect ourselves and stop, uh, you know, certain habits that we have that might cause others to be infected. So, you know, that's where I am. I'm good, and I'm working on the phone and uh, working with my staff and, We'll just keep doing everything we need to do. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, I just want to, before I ask you more specific questions, what do you take on the just an overall perspective on what's happened with uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus, um, how we got here, and uh, where we are today? Well, um, I suppose that we should have expected uh, that there would be pandemics I didn't know, I didn't hear about this in particular, but that's why we had an office of pandemic affairs in the president's office that was established during Obama's presidency. And that's what you do. You plan, right. you prepare, uh, and you're on top of it. You know, it's kind of shameful uh, that we found ourselves in this predicament with our hospitals and our clinics not having enough basic supplies such as gloves and masks and gowns. Uh, That should not be in our country. Uh, We certainly should have had better planning than this. And, of course, we must understand and appreciate science. And we must be doing the exploring uh, that we should be doing in anticipation of uh, diseases and, of course, Unfortunately, the president does not believe in science, and so we're behind. And uh, I'm hopeful uh, that we'll get through this. I believe we'll have to get through this, but we'll never find ourselves ill-equipped to deal with the pandemic in the way we find ourselves today. Thank you, Congresswoman Waters. One of the reasons uh, myself and so many respect you so much is that you're very direct and Uh, blunt uh, about uh, everything. You don't hold back and you say it the way uh, it is. And, uh, you know, it is a shame that the entire department was uh, dissolved by by President Trump. Which brings me to the bill that just passed through the House and the Senate for some relief for Americans, which I understand is probably going to give maximum of two $1,000 checks to Americans, those that qualify, that is. How do, you, how do you feel about that, the bill? Well, my plan was to have $2,000 per adult and $500 per child. Uh, I'm worried about uh, families where, you know, that are struggling, that are working for minimum wages, uh, that live from paycheck to paycheck don't have any savings, don't have anything to uh, basically protect them against this kind of uh, problem and this kind of disaster, and they're going to need our help. And so in addition uh, to helping them with debts uh, and bills and making sure that they don't get destroyed by our uh, bureaus uh, that determine whether or not you have good credit, uh, we need to have some money for them to put food on the table. And that's how I see uh, the cash infusion into our uh, society 
is by, you know, giving them some cash uh, to guarantee that there will be food, and it will be monthly until we get out of this pandemic. And so I'm still asking for more. Yes. uh, Thank you, Congresswoman. And I I have a very uh, impressive document from you about your your overall comprehensive plan and how to do this, and I'm going to ask you some um, specific questions. But first, I want to ask you, um, I do understand that there's some good news. Thank goodness for your work um, with the State Department for uh, in regards to the Americans that are stranded in Morocco. I wanted to see if you have any updates for us. Yes, I just talked to my constituent, who was one of those that was stranded, who happened to get back uh, through a, a, a very difficult route um, and she, had, she was the one that alerted me, and I got started with the State Department and with the airlines. And um, now we do have people who are being charted out. Uh, we have finally, you know, I had to be very, very blunt with the State Department and challenge them for a lack of involvement with those who were stranded. And so now we are getting them out. Morocco was where my constituent was. And she was in a group of about 15 people who were trying everything that they possibly could uh, to get out. But that's not the only number. There are over 2,000 people stranded in Morocco and Peru and some other places. And our State Department needs to get on top of where our American citizens are in these countries. And they should put together chartered flights to get them out. so I'm pleased about Morocco. I really am. Well, thanks to you. Um, I want to ask you on, on that note, is where is the dysfunction from our federal government down? What, why are there so many different things that are not working? You know, you've heard on more than one occasion that leadership starts at the top. Right. And I think that that is certainly um, what we can apply to this situation. The leadership has not been there. The president has not understood how government works and why uh, there are departments who have particular responsibility for certain things. He has gone through, he's cutting, he has, uh, you know, in his own administration, he has fired so many people. Uh, The State Department has been in a you know, state of disarray uh, because many of the State Department employees who have institutional knowledge, who have been there for years and who understand how the world works, are gone. Uh, and I think that many of the problems, not just the State Department, but with uh, everything from NIH, you know, our health departments and others, have been basically damaged by the lack of leadership. Uh, from this administration. Yeah, and one of the things that I always think about and talk about when the topic comes up is the legacy of President Obama and all the work he had spent eight years painstakingly doing for the American people. So much of that was chipped away in the last three years. Um, It's a very um, sad state of affairs. Yes, and it's almost childish in the way that this president has tried to undo or destroy or dismantle mm-hmm. anything that Obama had done uh, that made him a successful president. He just can't get over it. And so whenever uh, there he, he encounters some initiative that 
Obama took and was successful at it, he moves to try and destroy it. Yeah, and the world the word childish is very generous of you. I, w- I would name it other things. <laughs> so um, so Congresswoman, some of the you know, you have this proposal that it it's so dense and it's so detailed and it's proposal the official name is proposal to help the economy during a COVID nineteen crisis. And it goes through multiple categories and then items underneath those, starting with protecting consumers and bolstering the economy. So I don't want to go through every item, but I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about what are the most important things that we really need to do right away. Because as you said, rent is due and people need food. And so many have been laid off and so many industries are just completely disheveled right now. Yeah, well, uh, I think the infusion of cash is uh, important, and we should try and get that out uh, as quickly as we can. But people have bills and debts that they're worried about. They can't pay them, and we've got to protect them. Uh, We've got to make sure that the banks are doing everything that they can, and I got a commitment from them. I had a conference call with 10 of the biggest banks this morning uh, committing to uh, do what is commonly referred to as workouts, uh, with people who can't afford to pay their mortgages, because actually uh, you can redo the mortgages so that uh, it, the banks can get paid at the end of the mortgage, 20 years from now. Uh, they don't have to take a loss. Uh, they can just delay uh, the payments uh, that people cannot afford to do. We don't know when we'll get out of the pandemic, but it may be three, four, five months. And so uh, I have some commitments, and I want to make sure uh, that those commitments are lived up to. Uh, For landlords, yes, we don't want any evictions. We want to be able to keep people in their homes, in their apartments, and we've set up a facility by which to pay those landlords back uh, so that they're not losing any money. Uh, We want to make sure that we do everything that we can to try and keep these small businesses operating. And so we're proposing not only substantial support, and the banks have committed to continue to lend, um, but we want grants uh, so that they're not saddled with high interest rates and even having to pay back principal. Uh, The small businesses are economic engines in our communities, and we need to do everything that we can. Uh, They are work and job intensive. They employ people, and so we're focused on that. Uh, We're saying to the credit bureaus, you cannot uh, deem people who cannot pay their bills not to be credit worthy, and so we don't want any bad credit uh, ratings uh, for the people who are now finding themselves in situations where they can't pay the bills. It goes on and on and on. What the idea is to step outside of the box, America, recognize that there is poverty, recognize that there are people who work every day uh, but can barely, you know, put food on the table and pay the bills. Let's step up to the plate in a great way, in ways that perhaps we have not done before. Let us not be in a situation where we're bailing out the richest countries, I mean the uh, corporations uh, in, our, in our country, and not thinking about the people on Main Street and Wall Street just making out, uh, make it out. So I think that's what my, uh, my proposal does. It puts an emphasis on assisting America's uh, vulnerable families in ways that we have not done before. 
And uh, it's very difficult yeah. when you're dealing with so many different people, with so many different ideas, who haven't had certain kinds of experiences, don't really know, and some who don't really care. Uh, but we just have to fight for it. And I'm going to fight for it and do everything that I can uh, to assist our families and our children. Thank you, Congresswoman. That was going to be my next question, because reading this, it's so well planned out. And some of some of the things that you're proposing, obviously, the issues and the challenges go back pre-coronavirus. But what comes to mind is, you know, when you said it's very challenging because there's so many people, is how do you implement so much? I mean, this this would take an army of people uh, who also not only negotiate all these things with the banks and the credit companies and this and that, but also oversee it and to have checks and balances and make sure that it's done. Um, how does well, this... It, Go ahead. The fact of the matter is uh, we have a lot of government employees. And we have some people there, again, who with a lot of experience who understand you know, how to move legislation, who to get into uh, direct contact within the states and in the cities where there's overlap and the two work together to get something done. Uh, we can't see this as being, you know, so awesome uh, that it's impossible to implement. What we've got to see it as a challenge that we've got to overcome and get it done. Absolutely. There's a 12-step slogan that says, uh, you cannot think yourself into right action. You have to act yourself into right thinking. This is an example of that, where you are actually in action and doing so much for not just your constituents, but all Americans. One of the things that I was reading was something that's sort of been a big challenge in California and, and L.A. County and all of that. And I feel for the homeless community because before coronavirus, that was a major challenge for us and uh, shortage of housing and all of that. But with this coronavirus, it's just become so much bigger now because I was uh, listening to an interview with a homeless gentleman who said, no one is really coming and telling us how this is transmitted. So I well, uh, yes, it is. And this absolute disastrous situation of the homeless didn't just start with the coronavirus. It's been there, and, you know, we have supported funds to L.A. City, for example, and L.A. County, for example, um, to get affordable housing online, uh, to get, you know, units built with supportive services for those who need some additional help, uh, who maybe have, uh, you know, maybe challenged mentally, et cetera. We just can't seem to move it fast enough. I think there's some management problems at the top uh, that must be overcome, but this is a dangerous, even more dangerous situation for the homeless. They're living in risky situations now, sleeping in tents and on the street. And of course, the information about how it's transmitted really should be spread as wide as we can spread it we're hearing about it on television, but they don't have televisions. Right. We're hearing about it on the radio. Uh, they don't have access to the, you know, the information on the computers. And so what we have to do is we have to don our masks and our uh, protective clothing, and we've got to drop leaflets, and we've got to make sure 
that we do everything that we can when the shelters that we have uh, to get this information out so that people can try and protect themselves and try and protect others around them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also very glad and proud to be a California resident and live in um, Los Angeles also. Of course, uh, Governor Newsom made California the first state to implement what he did on Thursday night, which is that we all stay home unless it's absolutely necessary to go out, maybe to purchase uh, medicine or whatnot, or go to work. You know, some people still need to report to their to their jobs. Um, you know, this state for sure is doing is kind of like a maverick and is breaking ground on so many things on this. And of course, you being part of this state and uh, we all feel safe because of you. So thank you for that. I want to welcome and I want to just say that Governor Newsom is a real leader uh, who thinks outside of the box Mm -hmm. and who has provided early leadership on this issue. He's not afraid uh, to step in where controversy uh, may be raining. Uh, he's even said to the hotels, he's prepared to tell them that they've got to give up a space for people who need it. And he's looking at other avenues for what he can do to get people off the street. And so uh, a shout out to him for his leadership, for his boldness, and for his vision. For sure. I agree 100%. Um, Congresswoman, uh, from your perspective, since you know you are sort of in the middle of it, where do you think we are today? Because things are changing so rapidly. What should I know, or, or just average person who's listening, like me, know in terms of what's to come, or the most important information that we may be missing? Well, I think that we have done a relatively good job in having people understand the very basics of washing your hands of coughing into tissue, of um, recognizing symptoms, of uh, headaches, respiratory discomfort, um, aches and pains, fevers. I think that information is getting out. I think the information uh, is getting out about not being out in crowds, uh, limiting uh, your social contacts at a distance. I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. Uh, I noticed when I went to the grocery store, uh, even when some people uh, tried to, you know, come up to me to hug me, as they often do, I said, no, remember? And then they said, oh, yes, that's right. And they'd do an elbow, uh, (laughs) or people were elbowing instead of shaking hands. And so I think we're doing, we got to do more, and we got to do better. Now that uh, the governor has issued uh, the order for the lockdown, I think people are going to have to work harder to stay in and not go out. They have listed places that should be shut down, uh, mm-hmm. and they have listed places that they know uh, have to be open in order for people just to have uh, a, a, a daily decent quality of life to buy food and medicine, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, again, I think we're doing a good job of educating, and we have to keep working at that. Uh, I think most people understand. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had to fly back from Washington, D.C. Uh, to get home when we closed down, and um, the airplane was half empty. So people are taking advice about not flying unless you have to. I think that people with underlying 
health conditions understand that they're at greater risk, as are seniors. And right. so this information has to be told over and over again, not only, you know, from, you know, governors and experts, et cetera. We have a responsibility to tell each other. And when we see people putting themselves at risk, we must remind them uh, of what they should not be doing. And so I'm, I, I, I'm relatively pleased about how information on the whole has been getting out. And I'm optimistic of that we're going to see people getting off the streets, particularly when the bars are closed. I'm so happy that the bars are going to be closed because people hang out at bars. Uh, and maybe it's just a friendly thing in the neighborhood, but you don't need to do that, and now they've got to close them down. And I'm, 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 I'm real pleased about that. And so what I think we can look forward to is the government not only coming up quickly uh, with these complicated plans, and the third package should be voted out uh, by Monday, but how fast we can expedite this stuff and not get caught up in bureaucracy. How fast uh, will people see the benefits of the, uh, of the packages that we're passing? Uh, people know, and the hospitals and all know, and the doctors all know and understand uh, that we can't keep acting the same way we've been acting. My daughter uh, is in the hospital right now, uh, but I can't oh, go wow. see her because they can't have people just walking in. Uh, in the hospitals. Right. I get that. I understand that. And uh, I think that we should be more optimistic than not. Okay. That's very good to hear. I think a lot of Americans are sort of uh, listening and watching to see if uh, hope emerges. You know, we don't know where the arch is. We don't know where this uh, coronavirus is going to climax. You know, some of us think it was this week. Some people think uh, it's yet to come. So it's good to hear that you're optimistic, and I appreciate that. I am. I am. As a matter of fact, you know, in China, already the cases are slowing down. Correct. No new cases in some places in China. Correct. Yeah, I saw that. That's definitely helpful, given China uh, has had the largest numbers, followed by Italy and then us. Uh, Congresswoman, if I may change the subject just slightly, yes. and only because yes. it's affected, coronavirus has sort of affected what was a sort of on our front plate, if you will, which was the presidential race and the Democratic candidates. Just want to generally just ask you for your perspective on where we are with that. If you're talking about the elections in general and what has happened in our primaries, we basically know on the Democratic side uh, that it appears that Biden, uh, you know, certainly is, well, doesn't appear. He does have the lead. Uh, I don't th think that no matter what happens from this point on, uh, that can be caught up by Mr. Sanders. So it looks as if he's going to go into uh, the Democratic Convention and become the nominee. Uh, and so then the challenge is, uh, from the Democratic point of view and perspective, what do we need to do to make sure we get rid of this president who has been so divisive and so damaging uh, to our country who do not appreciate or understand the Constitution or the role of the presidency. And so Democrats, and I'm a strong Democrat, we've got to get out the vote. Uh, we've got to ensure that people know that this is an important time, uh, a crucial time in our history uh, to literally 
put our government back on the right track and to deal with our adversaries and stop Russia from hacking into our uh, electoral systems and into our businesses and to make sure uh, that uh, we have a government that's led uh, by a president who respects the Constitution and who can work to strengthen our democracy. So our challenge is big, but it's certainly doable. It's certainly possible. And I think this president has defined himself in ways that uh, even some who voted for him will not vote for him again. Yeah, I hope so. Okay, that was well said. And then lastly, and I will let you go, I'm sure you're exhausted from so many people wanting to talk to you. Any last words, anything you want to share with us, uh, your, you know, our listeners that maybe I haven't asked you? Yes, there's something, and it's not, it's not as um, legislative as it is uh, simply uh, caring about others. Senior citizens who are locked down need mm-hmm. some help. Uh, even when some of them tried to get into the grocery stores, there were people, you know, basically uh, disregarding them and grabbing things from the shelf. And many of our seniors uh, were not able to get uh, very much that they needed from the grocery store. But many of them can't get out of the house, and they need some help. And so if you are in a community or in an apartment building where you know there are seniors, and if you've got to go out to shop, See if you can bring something back for them. Also, be sure to find out where all the food banks are and the pantries. So when you hear about somebody being hungry or needing something, uh, you can let them know where there is food. And some of our food pantries are delivering food. Um, And our Meals on Wheels is still operating and can add more people. So I would like a helping hand for all of our seniors. Our senior lunch programs are working for the most part, and they are feeding uh, people not only who frequent them but who may be coming in for the first time. Uh, Many of them have ways by which uh, they avoid uh, gatherings and they can pass food out. Some are, you know, passing food out through drive-throughs, and that's happening with our schools too. Sometimes if you're helping somebody, you can just put the food on the front steps Uh, in front of the door, but there are things that we can do uh, to help others, and particularly our seniors. Um, I like that very much, um, the way you ended that, and that's to remember our senior citizens, elderly, perhaps just others who may not have the same access as we do and mobility, and to like really for all of us to work as a community to get through this. Congresswoman Waters, it's been a pleasure. Um, Thank you very much for um, being here with me on The Blunt Post with Vic. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on, and I am available to you whenever we can get together and try and keep information going that can be helpful. Thank you so much. Good and good luck to you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Congresswoman Maxine Waters uh, was elected in November 2018 to her 15th term in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, representing California's 43rd congressional district. Uh, Congresswoman Waters made history as the first woman and the first African-American chair of the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, 
an integral member of congressional Democratic leadership, Congresswoman Waters serves as a member of the Steering and Policy Committee and is the co-chair of the Bipartisan Congressional Task Force on Alzheimer's Disease. She is also a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and the member and past chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. The Blunt Post with Vic. Now, um, next I interview Congresswoman Judy Chu. Um, just so you know, I'd reached out to Congresswoman Chu a couple of weeks ago before President Trump uh, decided to deliberately referred it to COVID-19 as the China virus. But of course, um, I look forward to bringing this up with Congresswoman Chu since she is uh, an American of Chinese descent. So um, I hope you enjoy this interview. Congresswoman Chu, welcome to the Blunt Post uh, with Vic. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. It's great to be with you, even though it's such a difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very grateful um, that you've taken the time to talk to us and our, and our listeners in this moment of crisis. I think with all the anxiety and uncertainty and fear, people want to hear from those in charge, as, uh, such as yourself, you know, what, the, what it looks like. So I do wonder about that because we know about what most Americans, or at least we, you know, we have an idea of what most Americans are going through with not knowing if they can pay rent or mortgage, bills, health, um, especially our elderly. But as a member of Congress and as a leader, as someone that everyone sort of looks up to, how does that feel on your shoulders and what's your perspective? Well, I feel an enormous weight uh, and an enormous responsibility to make sure that Americans are taken care of during this crisis. I also feel an enormous sadness right this moment because uh, a resident of Glendora uh, passed away from coronavirus on Thursday. Oh, wow. I'm and sorry. Uh, Glendora is in my district. Yes. And he passed away in Pasadena, which is also in my district. Um, and he was only 34 years old. Wow. And the only thing that he had done recently had not traveled out of the country, but he flew to Orlando from Los Angeles on a business trip and extended it uh, a couple of days to visit Disney World and Universal Studios. So wow. then he came back and passed away in within a matter of days. So I, I just can't believe this young man has already succumbed to it. And it just shows us how important it is for us to follow Governor Newsom's order to stay at home. Correct, yeah. But that's yeah. very tragic. I, it's unbelievable. So there's a myth out there that only the, the elderly need to worry. You know, you just gave us an example of a 34-year-old who died from this. So something to consider as we, um, as we navigate through this virus on a daily basis. I was sort of refreshing uh, myself with a lot of your, uh, your platform and your initiatives and campaigns, and it just seems that for such a long time you have been working on so many bills and so many initiatives that are so important and so uh, relevant during this crisis, such as expanding the Affordable Care Act. And, and I thought, wow, you know, uh, Congresswoman Chu has been sort of like on top of health care 
Uh, I mean, and now this is more important than ever. But before I get into details, I want to ask you, and normally I don't like to give anything negative more life or more credibility, but I do have to ask you because it's so tasteless. Uh, as a, an American of Chinese descent, I want to ask you how it felt to hear our president call COVID-19 or coronavirus the Chinese disease. Every time he says it, and he makes a point of saying that at mm -hmm. his daily press conferences, I feel like it's a, it's a knife going through my heart. It yeah. is so dangerous for him to say that, and yet he's doubling down. Yeah. He is just fanning the flames of xenophobia. Absolutely. Uh, and we see the results. Uh, there was a... Chinese-American woman was assaulted on a New York subway because mm -hmm. she had a face mask. There was a young Asian-American boy in the San Fernando Valley that was assaulted by bullies who said he had a coronavirus, and it was so bad that it, he was put in the hospital. And just this week, there were three Asian-Americans, including two young kids, that were stabbed by a man saying that he wanted to kill Asian-Americans. So this is having an effect, uh, a terrible effect on people, on victims, and on the mentality of the American people. Now, there are very responsible leaders who've recognized this from the start. For instance, the World Health Organization said that there should not be a place associated with the names of these diseases. And so that's why the official name of this disease is COVID-19. But also, members of President Trump's own cabinet and leadership have acknowledged this. I actually asked Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, myself, about whether he would stop using that term. And he committed to doing that because he, he wanted to make sure there was no stigma. And so did um, the director of CDC, Robert Redfield. He committed in an open hearing that he did not want to use the term so that he could also stop this stigma. So responsible leaders are seeing that this is a terrible thing to do, and yet our president still does not recognize it. Responsible uh, leaders is the, is the right term. And he was also, a Washington Post photographer caught his notes where um, the name of the disease was crossed off and uh, handwritten, I'm not going to repeat it, but the, the derogatory, yeah, no, I, derogatory I term. I saw that myself. Yeah, yeah. it's... it's that, uh, that he actually puts it. It, it just shows how deliberate it is, and, and it's, mm -hmm. it's really political. Um, he started calling himself the war president, and if he, he's calling himself the war president, he needs a foreign enemy, and, and that's what this is all about. Yeah, it's... Uh, it makes it so challenging because you think about, I was writing a story about how to take the stigma away from it. Um, mm -hmm. And how do you do that when, when the commander in chief is trickling down the stigma? It's an impossible thing. And uh, we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to give it power. And yet we do have to because um, if we don't, then uh, they're not held accountable. Absolutely. But uh, the good news is that uh, so many people across uh, many sectors of America are seeing that this is not the right thing to do. I see so many um, 
references to people who are speaking out on this. I just recently I saw actors and uh, who, who spoke out on this. But also, I, I am very proud of my uh, colleagues in Congress because the Congressional Black Caucus, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, and the Congressional Native American Caucus uh, joined us in a press conference speaking out against this, as did uh, Speaker Pelosi and uh, Majority Leader Hoyer. So uh, those who have compassion and a sense of responsibility are indeed rising to the occasion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I want to ask you about the the bill that just passed through the House and the Senate, the stimulus bill, which would give, my understanding is, a $1,000 check to every American that qualifies to a maximum of two $1,000 checks. And well, I know- it, it didn't yet pass. This is the third stimulus bill, so... Okay. These proposals are rolling around right now. Okay. Uh, at least there's a recognition that uh, there has to be some kind of direct cash payment mm-hmm. because that would be the best way for people to survive in this in this sudden crisis. Um, so this bill is rolling around, and the latest that I heard uh, that is being proposed is a twelve hundred dollar. Um, cash payment, uh, but uh, there is so much more that has to be negotiated in this bill, which could be mm-hmm. a trillion-dollar bill. What we want is to make sure that there is actual full paid family leave, because this second bill that uh, was passed um, uh, did not have full family uh, leave, but uh, we, we had to have a compromise in order to make sure it got out. Instead, it exempted those employers with over 500 employees and those with under 50. So um, we know that that leaves out so many people besides leaving out uh, those who don't fit easily in any category, which are the gig workers or freelance workers. We need to solve this problem and address it. Correct. So when they talked about, um, I read a few stories about the $1,000 check or two $1,000 checks. Did they mean that it just cleared through the House and cleared through the Senate and was on President's uh, desk? I don't think it's actually cleared anywhere. Okay. Uh, I mean, it hasn't cleared definitely to the level of being on the desk. Certainly, I know it hasn't gotten to the House. Uh, So if anything, uh, I don't know if it went through the Senate. It may have, but but, uh, it would still have to go through the House and then, then be signed in. Then it begs the question of, you know, Americans, you know, some people are worried about April 1st. There is so much um, delay and uh, history has shown us that, you know, let's just be blunt. Republicans will chip away at anything as they did with the Affordable Care Act. As Americans are in fear, worried about food for their kids and uh-huh. Uh, the yeah. elderly and rent and mortgage, here we have this, you know, uh, something that's taking so long and we, we don't have that yeah. much time. The good thing is that we did pass the second stimulus bill and it does have uh, sick leave, 14 days of sick leave. It does have paid family leave to certain employees, um, a large portion of them, but not as large as what I would want. Yeah. It does have a self-employed tax credit, so that, um, uh, it, and it would be a refundable tax credit, so that uh, people could could get money. 
uh, and it does provide for an increase in Medicaid to all the states um, because we know that there is going to be a heavy impact uh, due to coronavirus on on all the health entities out there and especially for those health entities that uh, serve the poor. I think the most significant thing, one of the most significant things is the nutrition assistance because one thing's for sure, we don't want to have people go hungry. Right. So there's $250 million for nutrition assistance and that's how all these uh, Grab and go uh, events have been set up in the school so that uh, so that uh, people can just drive up and, and, and get their food, um, no questions asked. Um, because we know that for many students, their main source of food is in the schools, and now that the schools have been shut down, Correct. there has to be some place for them to get it. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned something um, just moments ago about the stimulus packages not really covering certain types of people in in California especially and even in Southern California more so we have so many consultants and independent contractors and gig workers uh-huh. and those kinds of people that are you know either in the entertainment industry or events industry and such that last few days I've seen and heard and read a lot of fear from those types of people, especially since what they do, most of that has completely sort of evaporated in the last few uh-huh. weeks. So, you know, they don't fall easily into any kind of a box, and some don't even have insurance. Some don't don't have uh, health insurance. Um, so there's a lot of fear from, from those types of people, and we have a lot of those in California. Exactly. Well, actually, the second stimulus covered the self self-employed and independent contractors but the type of person you're talking about does not qualify as self-employed or an independent contractor they don't have a a consistent employer like for instance if they're in the entertainment industry uh, they're on for a few weeks with one one entity one company and then they're off for a bit of time and then then they're on with some other company so they're freelancers Right. So they don't fit under the, any of the categories in the second stimulus package. So I've actually made it my mission to make sure that we address them in this third stimulus package oh, and have great. some type of economic benefit that they can um, access during this time period. Thank you for that, Congresswoman. In terms of where we are today, because it, it seems like every about twice a day, Uh, landscape changes. In in terms of where we are today, what's your sort of like outlook? Are we at the arch of this? Have we, are we past the arch or is it still coming? Uh, And I'm not asking you to be a psychic, just just your perspective. I I, I don't know what the time frame is, but I know that uh, the cases are are going to increase. um, And I'm just hoping that all these drastic measures that we have right now in terms of staying at home will flatten the curve. And that that is so important. Uh, we know that the amount of cases will increase, but we don't want the peak to be all at once, which is what's taking place in Italy. Uh, in Italy, uh, so many have gotten sick all at one time that they've overwhelmed the healthcare system, which has been unable to meet the need. So what we need is to flatten the curve so that there aren't so many sick at one time so that everybody can get a chance to be taken care of. That is 
so important. And mm-hmm. that's why I, I am proud of our governor for taking such strong measures. Now 40 million of us uh, are, are staying at home. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? We have to get these other states to do it, too, because what's to prevent somebody from some Midwestern state that isn't under this order uh, from just, you know, driving here and, and then suddenly bringing coronavirus? So Correct. Uh, there has to be a nationwide kind of measure that is strong so that people get the message. Yeah. And I like that you... I gave a shout out to Governor Newsom. Uh, I interviewed Congresswoman Maxine Waters, and she did as well. And um, I'm very proud that to be in California and to have a governor who's not afraid to really take a stand and say, this is what we need to do. It's not going to be easy, but this is what's needed. Mm-hmm. So thanks to you. And, you know, in my intro, in terms of, you know, just talking about your bio and all of that, but for our listeners, I just want to mention for those that may not know is you have been a champion for uh, expanding Affordable Care Act, a Medicare for All. You are in the Medicare for All caucus. Mm-hmm. You've been a champion for Health Equity and Accountability Act. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And you also a, a huge, you know, you speak very freely and, and you champion for solutions to substance abuse and mental health. Uh, especially mm-hmm. at a time, you know, even though COVID-19 is, is on our front burner right now, but, you know, opiate epidemic has been something very challenging lately, and you have done a lot of work around that. So I just want to sort of acknowledge those. And so, you know, it's all in context that been sort of, it seems like you've been working toward this day for a long time. And now we we find ourselves in this sort of unprecedented situation. And just briefly, I want to Talk about your own district uh, specific. Are there any challenges that you're hearing about or you're facing uh, just in your own district? Well, I just had a Facebook Live on uh, coronavirus, and uh, I, was, I, I was amazed by the number of questions that came in. We had the uh, public health officials um, talking about uh, uh, what to expect, and I, I just sensed how vulnerable and anxiety-stricken people are feeling not knowing exactly what to do and uh, asking some fairly fundamental questions like should they let in a repairman into their apartment Mm -hmm. and uh, should they uh, wash off uh, the the grocery bag if they go into uh, a grocery store Um, so I would say that uh, they feel very, very uneasy about what we're facing right now. And the reason I'm so proactive in doing this Facebook Live, and I also had a um, conference call with all the healthcare providers earlier in the week, um, it, that's why it is so important for us to get together and to impart the, uh, the true facts, uh, to separate the facts from the fiction. Right. and to impart to people that we just need to be able to take care of ourselves and to pay attention to what the CDC is, is saying we should do to keep ourselves healthy. Uh, we need to be able to take care of each other as best we can. Uh, and uh, with that, I, I believe we can get through this together. Absolutely. I want to ask you... Question that has two parts. One is, what is not happening in D.C.? You know, what is not functioning? 
first. I have, yeah, I have really strong feelings about this because the other thing I heard from my healthcare providers is the fact that they can't get tests. There are those who have the machinery available to be able to process these tests. They they would want to set up the drive-by testing system today. Right. They're they're willing and able to do this, but they can't get the reagents. Those are those chemicals that you need to put into the machine. Mm-hmm. And the, there is a complete lack of coordination here in our system. The laboratory system is comprised of all these manufacturers who are private, and there is no one entity coordinating all of this. So there are all these separate manufacturers and different types of tests, and the reagents that you get can only apply to a particular type of machine you have. So they're all separated. And one of the uh, most prominent uh, manufacturers is Roach. But Roach is not, not manufacturing enough of these reagents. So I think that this president, first of all, should have much stronger coordination and a hierarchy, and he should pay attention to the scientists. But I also think that he has to invoke the Defense Production Act and force the manufacturing of the personal protective equipment, the mask, the swab, and the reagent. Right. The testing is key to us getting better. We need to know who actually has coronavirus and who doesn't. And testing has to come on a timely basis. It's ridiculous to have the results come five days later. Yeah. But also, the stories that I'm hearing from people with regard to them having the symptoms, uh, knowing that, that they could infect others, wanting the test, and yet being denied, I can't believe it's still happening. Yeah, it's unfathomable. And um, I was going through some of the president's tweets one on February 20th, he tweeted that this was in completely under control in the U.S. And, you know, it's much ado about nothing, basically. Yeah, you cannot believe what he's saying. He, he said it was all under control. He also said we'd have uh, 1.9 million uh, tests right now. Right. Clearly, that's not happening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's very frustrating. But again, you know, thank goodness for leaders like yourself and Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi and Congresswoman Maxine Waters and Gavin Newsom and um, and so many others who are who are really taking a stand and holding them accountable to instead of having these showmanship public relations <laughs> press conferences that I think confuses more people than anything else um, to really uh, do the work and do the, the hard work that it's going to take to normalize this and normalize meaning to get it under control and then start to drop the, the numbers. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Before um, we go, I just want to give you an opportunity. I may have not asked you the right questions. Anything that you'd like to share that I didn't bring up? Well, I feel that it's such a difficult time. Um, and we all have all kinds of feelings. We have feelings of fear, and I just want to tell people it's it's okay to have the the fear, and we have very sad feelings, and it's okay to have the sad feelings. But the most important thing 
is to also have the feeling that we can get through this, mm-hmm. that we can work together to make sure that uh, we get those numbers down, that we keep our families safe, that uh, we are able to combat all of this. If we follow the guidelines, if we uh, keep washing our hands, if we keep our social distance, uh, we can we can deal with this and, and we can save uh, thousands upon thousands of lives and, and um, make our country uh, safe once again. Absolutely. Well said, um, Congresswoman Chu. That was a lot of hope. It's good to have hope and uh, as we move on and see um, what happens. But I really want to thank you for the time you took to speak with me and our listeners and for your leadership uh, and all the information you shared. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good weekend. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, Congresswoman Chu was elected to the uh, U.S. House of Representatives in 2009, representing California's 27th Congressional District. Representative Chu currently serves on the powerful House Ways and Means Committee, uh, which has jurisdiction over legislation uh, pertaining to taxes, revenues, Social Security, and Medicare. Uh, She also serves on the House Small Business Committee, which has oversight of the Small Business Administration, and is the chair of the Subcommittee on Investigations, Oversight, and Regulations. Um, I highlight um, an organization on the show. Um, Every time um, an organization, uh, such as a nonprofit, a charity, um, or just a community organization that does great work, and I want to uh, bring everyone's attention to one that we all know, which is the American Red Cross. And uh, they are facing a severe blood shortage due to an unprecedented number of blood drive cancellations uh, during this coronavirus outbreak. Healthy individuals are needed to donate now to help patients counting on life-saving blood, uh, platelets, or AB elite plasma. Uh, So please, if you're able to and you're eligible, go to their website and sign up to uh, donate blood. You can go to uh, redcrossblood.org. Again, that's redcrossblood.org. Thank you. I like to bring you a quote or a slogan every week, an inspirational one. And, and this, on today's show, I'd like to quote uh, President Theodore Roosevelt. Um, and his quote is, This country will not be a good place for any of us to live unless we make it a good place for all of us to live in. Uh, before we go, I want to thank uh, my producer, Ricky Herrera, who's also the composer and producer of our original theme music. Uh, of course, thank you for uh, joining me today for The Blonde Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Have a safe healthy, and successful week. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.